Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. When I'm finished, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and if you would please respond, thanks be to God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you, too, are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the law. All right, good morning. Well, we are going to take an in-depth look at Peter's uh, restoration. So just now, we heard what Jesus tells Peter before he's arrested, what's going to happen. He says, all of you are going to deny me. You're, you're all going to fall away because of me. He tells, he tells Peter, when Peter says, I wouldn't, I would never. He tells Peter, actually, you will three times before the rooster crows. And then we skip this part. We've got a lot of scripture to cover. Um, but in, in between there, Jesus is arrested. And um, they all flee. All the disciples flee. Peter's following from a distance. And and this, these different people come up to him and, and try and identify him as one of Jesus' followers, and three times he denies it. Um, but what we're actually going to look, uh, look at in depth is where the Lord restores Peter back. So if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. We wanted to set the scene, what happened to Peter, but now we're going to be looking at John chapter 21 together to see how the Lord uh, restores him. And we're going to take several 
We're going to take several points from this. If you're a note taker, I have a lot of points, but they're all short today. Um, And we're going to see when we fail the Lord, how how should we respond? We're going to look first at what should we not do? We're going to see some of that from Peter. But then we're also going to see what should we do and what does our Lord do for us? To help us to be restored. And, and as we think about this, I want to kind of set your mind in the right spot. We're not just thinking about your biggest blunders in life. Now, certainly, those are included in, in what we're talking about today. But I, I want you to also be thinking about your weekly and your daily failures. The things that trip you up over and over again. Because what we talk about today has application for both your biggest failures, the things that maybe ruin your confidence before the Lord, but also those things that chip away at it every day and every week. And we're going to learn how to rightly respond in order to be in a place of restored relationship with Jesus. That's where we're headed. All right, now let's read John 21, and uh, please stand with me as we read this, this passage. John 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again. So he has been raised from the dead. He's already revealed himself to the disciples uh, before, but he's doing it again. Um, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples, of his disciples, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to them the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and he said, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can have a seat. So much in here. Um, And so we're going to cover a lot, but it's all very, very practical. Pray with me and uh, we'll jump right into it. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege of gathering with your people, whom you love, and opening up the word, and preaching the word, and worshiping you in song. God, it is truly a privilege. We give you thanks, Lord. We we thank you for the opportunity now to learn, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that even right now that there would be people in this room over these next few minutes who would be restored to you, who would experience this very thing that we're talking about. Lord, would you do that miracle, restore relationship with you for many today, and teach us, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's important that as we read a story like this, that we put ourselves into the story, that we put ourselves into Peter's shoes. I want you to try and imagine what it would have been like for Peter. And keep in mind, Peter has been given a great privilege, a great stewardship, if you will. He's been been given the lead role of the disciples, of the 12. And there wasn't just 12, there were 72, and then there was 120 the 12 was like the, the main disciples, and Peter's the leader over them. He's been given this role, this, this, this huge responsibility, and, and on top of that, he thought, like many of us do, he thought that he was better than he was, right? We heard what he said in that conversation with Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away Don't put me in the same category with them, Lord. I'm not like those other guys. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't fall away even if they all would. He thought he was better than he was. Can you imagine the shock that he felt 
when his senses came to him, when he heard that rooster crow. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Can you relate? Have you ever had that experience of coming to your senses, seeing how bad you actually are, having that bright spotlight of God's righteous standard and his holiness shining on your heart, and you look and you see yourself in that light, and it is shocking in many ways, devastating in many ways. Sometimes it can paralyze us. We didn't expect that. Not, not now. I, I'm, I'm a Christian now. I have a relationship with the Lord now. That's not me. And that's true. When we come into a relationship with Christ, it fundamentally changes our identity. We are united with Him. That's the core of who we are. We're a Christian. That's our fundamental identity. And that's a new identity. We are a new creature. And practically speaking, we are changed. We talk about that a lot here, that you can't have an encounter with the living God, the Holy Spirit come into your life and it not change you. Radically, it's a transformation of, of who you are at the core. But make no mistake about it. We are still sinners in practice. That's not our core identity anymore. We are in Christ. We're a new creature. But day to day, week to week, we fail. Right? We fail. We fall short. So we're not what we once were, but we are still sinners nonetheless. And we will be until we're free of these old bodies of flesh, till we see Jesus face to face. We are still going to fail him. And so for that reason, this message, this story has so much application for us, so much help and encouragement for us. When we fail him, when we, when we step blatantly into sin or trip into sin, whatever that might be, when we fall short in the ways that we have fallen short, in the massive ways that have marked our lives like this marked Peter's, or in the ways that we fall short every single day, there are traps that we need to avoid that our failures can, can get us stuck in. And there are some things we need to know in order to be fully restored to relationship. So let's start out by looking at some of these traps to avoid. Or maybe it's how not to respond to failure. I wasn't really sure how to title these first uh, points. But the first thing that we learn, that we need to learn, is that failure can hamstring our faith. It affects our faith when we sin. And we need to know this. We need to understand this because this is the thing that is, that is beneath our failure, is that our, our faith has weakened. We've had unbelief in our hearts and it caused the failure in the first place. And that's exactly what happened 
to Peter. We didn't read this passage, but Luke chapter 22 in Luke's gospel, we get a little bit more insight into this. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. He's talking about this night where he fails him. And here's what he says. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So let me ask you this. What is Satan after? He's, he's after Peter's faith. That's what he wants to get. That's what he wants to destroy. That's what Satan is attacking when he attacks any of us. It's the thing beneath the sin that we commit. Unbelief is the root and cause of all sinning. All of our disobedience springs from this. Hebrews 3, 18 through 19, um, talking about the Israelites out in the desert and how the first generation of the Israelites didn't get to enter into the promised land. And the Lord says this, to whom did he, did God swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You would think it would say, so we see that they were unable to enter because of disobedience. But the writer of Hebrews is teaching us, underneath our disobedience is always unbelief. And the same was true for Peter's disobedience this faithful night. For all of our sin, underneath it is that we are not trusting Him, that we're not resting in Him, that we're not believing what He said is true. And so the restoration process needs to be a restoration of our faith. What we just read, what Jesus did for Peter, what we're looking at today, that was Jesus restoring Peter's faith. And so when we think we've repented, but we stop short of a restoration of our, of our faith, we haven't really truly repented. R- repentance is more than just not doing that thing anymore. Repentance is a turning of the whole self because sin is a turning of the whole self away. You see? And so repentance is not just Peter saying, I'll never deny him again. Repentance includes a restoration of his whole being back to Christ, a restoration of the relationship. In order to be restored, he's got to turn again. Did you catch that in Jesus' words? When you turn again. So Peter's denial of Jesus was more than just a moment of cowardice. It was a turning away from Jesus in unbelief. And the same is true for all our sinning. And therefore, real repentance involves turning back to Him to fully trust Him again. Point number two we need to watch out for. Failure can cause us to lose confidence before God. Now, 
when Peter failed the Lord, he went away and he wept. What he experienced was shame. Now, our culture would say that shame is always bad. You should never feel any shame. That's not true. It's not biblical. You actually should feel shame. We should feel shame when we sin. Shame has a purpose. But we have to keep it in its right place. So when we sin, there should be a sense of shame that what we did, we did against God. Right? It's meant God made that so that we would turn back to Him. Romans 6.21 says, What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So the end of those things is death. When Paul thinks about the things that, that we did in sin, he thinks, yeah, those things, we should be ashamed of those things. Right? Um, 2 Thessalonians 3.14 Once again, Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica, and he says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. If, if, if someone doesn't heed the words of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture, then they should feel ashamed. It's the right response. So when we turn our back, on the Lord, when we turn to sin, it should cause shame and we should feel that. Like, embrace it when you sin. James would say, mourn and weep and feel wretched. That's the right response to turning your back on a holy and good God. But the key is, then return. Turn, not just from the action, but with your whole being back to God. Come back to Him, all the way back to Him, and believe, and believe the gospel, the thing that allows you to come back to Him in the first place, and believe it all the way. We talked about this last week. Believe the gospel with, with no strings attached, that just grace and grace alone is why you can be forgiven. That, that His sacrifice on the cross, His blood shed on that cross is why you can experience complete forgiveness and that your sin can be wiped away. And so then what happens when you return to him like that and you come all the way back to him and you believe the gospel again, what happens to your shame? Oh, uh, it wiped, it's wiped away. And now shame has served its purpose. You don't stay in it. It's meant to turn you back to God. But if we don't get back to him, if we don't get back to believing the gospel, that shame can hang around and anybody who's been following Jesus for a little while can attest to this. That shame can hang around because you're not believing the gospel again and it can, and it can cause you to lose your confidence before God. And anybody else ever experienced that feeling when you don't even want to pray because that's a little too intimate considering what I've done? That is what we have to watch out for. 1 John 3, 21 through 22 says this, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. 
So you believe that you believe the gospel that we just talked about, that his grace is sufficient. You don't have to add any of your works to it. And, and, and his blood is what covers you. That gives us confidence before God. And whatever, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. But what if we, what if our hearts do condemn us? And we all know from experience, we lose our confidence before God and that it has a terrible and detrimental effect on our relationship. So we've got to get back to him and back to believing the gospel. Third thing that we need to watch out for, failure can tempt us to drift backward. Can tempt us to drift backward. Now, in this story... Peter goes back to fishing. And it does, the, the text does not explicitly say that his decision to go fishing is sinful. So we just need to be careful there that we don't jump to conclusions wrongly. But, but, but here's what we, we all know, is that when we sin, we have a tendency to go back to our old life and what we once knew and what was once comfortable to us, right? So even if Peter's decision to go fishing was not a direct decision that was made out of sin, even if not, this point still stands. Failure can tempt us to drift backward. I think we can at least use sanctified imaginations and think about the potential here that Peter, in his decision to go back to the career that he had before Jesus called him to, come, to leave those nets and come and follow him, I think we can imagine at least it's possible that he said, you know what? I'll never be more than I once was. I was right. I, I'm still just the same old guy. I think I'll just go back to what I always did. And sin and failure has a way of convincing us the same. Jesus gave me a chance and I squandered it. I blew it. As if Jesus doles out grace a little bit and then once we use it up, it's over. It's not true. It's not how he works. It's not how his grace works. It's not how the gospel works. But we get confused in our sin. We say things like, I guess I'll always be an addict. I guess I'll never become a loving and patient parent. I guess I'll never get free of porn. I guess fear and anxiety will always have this grip on me. I guess I'm not really changed. We find ourselves in the aftermath of our sin thinking that our identity isn't really new. But our failure does not tell the whole story. Just like Peter's failure did not tell his whole story. But in, in the aftermath of it, it was all he could see. It was all he could think about. And so... He goes back to what's familiar. 
if we run from Jesus, but we never come back, then we've got something to worry about, right? That was Judas's story. Judas also betrayed Jesus, but what was different about Judas? He gave up. He hung himself. He quit fighting the fight. And that's not Peter's story. If, if we run for a time, but we come back, then he, he's restoring us. But if we run and we run and we give up, then that does not give us confidence that we were ever truly his. Notice when Jesus shows up on the shore, who's the first one in the water? Who's the first one to like... And, and by the way, why would you throw your clothes on before swimming 100 yards? All I could think was I would drown. There's no way I would have made it to shore. He flings himself in the water He's so excited to see Jesus, and it shows that he does love him. Point number four. Failure can tempt us to seek isolation. Now, again, this text does not explicitly say Peter wanted to be alone, but here's what it does say. It says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. It looks like that Peter wants to get away. And they're like, we shouldn't let Peter get away. Yeah. Doesn't it? And again, we've all experienced this. As a pastor, I see this all the time. As soon as somebody starts pulling away from community... Nine times out of ten, it's because of sin. We seek to be alone when we are in sin. But, here's what Galatians 6.1 tells us. We, when we sin, when we fall into sin, that's precisely when we need each other. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's a community effort. It's a community effort. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. It's when we're idle, it's when we are faint-hearted, it's when we are weak that we just want to get away from everybody else. But it's when we are in that place that we need each other more than ever. So fight the urge to push away from community because of your sin. Press in. Now, that's kind of the first half, and that's the longer half. You can take a deep breath. Um, I want to see, and, and I'm going to move through these more quickly, Lord willing. And uh, I want to see how should we deal with 
our failure. And, and in this half, we're going to look at what Jesus really does for us, what he did for Peter, what he does for us. Point number one on how should we deal with failure, realize that Jesus saw it coming and chose you anyway. Let me ask you this. When, when Jesus chose Peter to be the head of the church, the leader of the leaders, did he know what Peter was going to do? Yes. And all the other ways that Peter was going to fail him. And he chose him anyway. And did he know that all of his disciples that night, when, when he needed them most, that they were all going to turn and run? Yes. And did he choose them anyway? Yes. And when the Lord chose you, did he know all the ways you would fail him? And even the ways you haven't failed him yet, but you will. Yes. He knew. And he chose you anyway. And the point is that you will never surprise Jesus. You have never surprised him. And you never will. And that gives us confidence have you ever considered the type of people that God chooses in the Bible? Noah had a drinking problem and some serious family issues. <laughs> Moses had an anger problem and committed murder. David committed adultery and murder and every other sin in the mix. Abraham took a concubine to try to make things happen rather than waiting on God. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was a coward. And all of the disciples were selfish and fought over who was the greatest. <laughs> but it's been said, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. He uses people like us. And that's why this is so amazing. That's why this story is so amazing. So we can remember that Jesus saw our failures coming and chose us anyway. Point number two, realize that Jesus wants to restore you. Now think back to the, the scene when, G, when Jesus is standing on the shore what does it say about Jesus' heart for Peter that he goes to him while Peter's out there doing his old job? That that's when Jesus decides to appear to him. Not when Peter gets back home and he hadn't caught any fish and he's like, oh, that was stupid. Lord, I'm so sorry. I repent. I'm back to reading my Bible and praying like I should. And then Jesus comes walking into the room. He shows up where Peter is before Peter has taken a step toward him. Do you think that when you 
sin against our Lord that he says to you, good riddance, done with you, sick of you. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is not the Jesus of this story. Praise God. And it wasn't just Peter. Every one of his disciples ran away and abandoned him that night. And the very first message that he gives to those disciples through Mary, when Mary sees the resurrected Lord, is, Go tell my brothers that I've been raised. He calls them brothers. Those guys that abandon me, go tell them they're my brothers. And then the very first thing that he says to him when he shows up in the room where they are, the door's locked, he says, peace be to you. And can you see him standing on the beach this day, calling out there, hey boys, catch any fish? Can you picture him starting a fire on the beach and and cooking fish, where did he get them? I don't know. Maybe he turned some sand into fish. I don't know what he did. But he had some fish already. He's preparing breakfast for hungry men who've been out all night. You see his care. And then do you see him walking away with Peter saying, hey, let's go have a talk. His heart toward those that are caught in shame running away from him is tender. He is drawn to us in our sin. His heart is that of a physician, as Dane Ortland so powerfully showed in the book Gentle and Lowly. Christ, as a physician, is drawn all the more to us in our sickness. And not just sickness of body, sickness of soul. The great physician delights to restore the sick soul, and especially the soul that is under the oppressive weight of sin. The good shepherd is pleased to pursue the one sheep that gets away and wanders. This is his heart toward us in our sin. He enjoys mending broken Christians. And so, believer, don't think that your sin makes him turn away from you. It makes him pursue you all the more. Point number three. You've got to allow him to give you a fresh start. Allow him to give to you what he is wanting, what he is eager to give to you, a fresh start. It says in John 21, verses 5 and 6, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He says to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And some of you have maybe caught the fact that Jesus has done this miracle before. When did he do this miracle? It's when he called Peter the first time to walk away from the nets and come follow him. 
He repeats the miracle. Can you imagine the realization Peter is experiencing, right, as it hits him what's happening? He repeated the miracle for him, and he repeats the call. Follow me. He actually repeats it twice. It's as if the Lord is saying to Peter, I know you feel like it's over for you, but I am willing to start all over. I'm willing to start this whole thing back at the beginning for you, Peter. And he does the same for us. This is his heart for us when we fail. He's willing to give us a brand new start. Now, some of you, some of you, you're in the place today where he has wanted to give you a fresh start and you've not taken it. Maybe a few times. Let's imagine that Peter stays on the boat. What if Jesus comes and stands on the shore of the sea and, and Peter looks and he says, no, that's not him. He wouldn't do that. Let's just keep fishing. Maybe that's where some of you are. You didn't, you didn't jump in the water and go and, and receive what Jesus was offering to you. And so you're here today and you feel like, I've, I've, I'm so far away from another chance. Listen, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're listening to this, how do you know if he still wants you? Ask this question. Do you want to be restored to him? If you want to be restored to Jesus, it's not too late for you. If you would like to be restored completely in your relationship with him, it is not too late for you. And I have a feeling that since you're here today, you probably want to be restored, regardless of where you're at in your faith. So how do we take him up on the offer? Point number four, we surrender our lives all over again. And here's the beautiful conversation. Jesus and Peter go for a walk, and Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? One time for every denial. But the first time when he asks him, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, there's some different interpretations of what he means by these. I think the interpretation that makes the most sense is the fish, the nets, the boat. Why? Because that's what he's been doing. And he hadn't been doing that for the last three years. He just went back to this. And they're sitting on the shore, and there's 153 fish right next to him. And he says, do you love me more than these? I think he's saying, I see that you've gone back to what you used to do. Do you love that more, or do you love me more? 
what he's doing is he's, he's bringing Peter back to the place that it all began for him the very first time. When the Lord said to him, follow me and leave that behind. He's asking him, are you still willing to surrender? Are you still willing to let me lead your life? Or are you going to just keep doing this your way? And this is where we all need to come back to whenever we fail. We need to come back to that place of open-handed surrender. Of saying, do I love this more than him? Do I love my job more than him? Do you love me more than blank? What would Jesus fill in that blank for you? Do you love me more than your children? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than your comforts? Do you love me more than your pleasures? Do you love me more than your reputation? Do you love me more than your sleep? Do you love me more than your hobbies? What is it for you? When we fail the Lord in big ways or common ways, this is where we have to come back to. Can I surrender and let him lead? We have to say, I know I've done this before, Lord, but I surrender again. Point number five, we've got to get back to work. I love it. Every single time he asks him, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, get back to work, essentially. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. What, what's he, he's describing the work of a pastor, the work of a leader of a church, and that's what was, that was his calling. So what he's saying to Peter is, get back to the thing I called you to. Get back to that, the thing that I called you to in the first place. And th this is what we all want. If we dig deep enough, when we fail the Lord, we wonder, but yeah, I I, okay, maybe I can get with the idea that you can still love me, but you're probably done with using me. Isn't that what we think? And so the Lord shows... Peter, yeah, you failed me, but I still got work for you to do. How, how do you know if, if you're qualified to get back to what you were called to do? Well, have you turned back to him? Is there repentance? And do you love him? It seems that that's the, the qualifiers right there. Have you turned back to him? And do you love him? And if the answer to those questions is yes, then sounds like to me Jesus wants you serving him in his kingdom. He wants to use you for his purposes and for his glory and for your joy. This would have been such an encouragement to Peter. My calling is not revoked. He still wants me to serve him even though I fail. Point number six, last one. 
Get your eyes back on Jesus. Notice what happens in this conversation as they're walking along. John is following behind. And the Lord says, he, the Lord says to Peter, when you're old, you're going to die by crucifixion. Um, and it will glorify God. And that might not sound like a huge encouragement to us, <laughs> but let me help you to understand why that's actually a massive encouragement. Because Jesus is essentially saying to Peter, I've seen your last day on this earth. And on that day, when it's hardest, you don't deny me. You finish well. He says, you're going you're gonna to get old. And on the very last day on this earth, you're still with me. Can you imagine for Peter where he's at in this story? Can you imagine the encouragement that that is to him? That he's going to face an even tougher challenge than the one that he faced and failed. And he's not going to do it again. And so he's encouraging him with this, and Peter turns around and he looks at John behind him. He says, well, but what about John? <laughs> and Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. And I see a principle here that when we fail, I don't know about you, but when I backslide, all of a sudden, my focus, my gaze starts going sideways, and I start looking at other people. Well, I know I haven't been doing great, but how's so-and-so doing? And I start comparing, and I start trying to see if I measure up, and I start analyzing how the Lord deals with them, and that's not helpful. It's not helpful. The Lord is essentially saying, get your eyes back on me, Peter. Focus. I'm going to get you to the end. Don't worry about how I deal with him. What about you? Have you been comparing yourself to the Christians around you? You follow him. Do you have a spouse that doesn't take spiritual things seriously? You follow him. Do your friends seem to have a clear conscience about things that you don't? What's that to you? You follow him. You stay grounded in his word. Stay grounded in prayer. Listen to His voice. Obey what He says. By keeping your eyes fixed on Christ, your faith will be renewed. Now I want to wrap it up this way. Maybe you're here today, and all this talk about being restored in your faith is 
is not very applicable to you because you've never put your faith in him in the first place. Maybe you're here and you would say, I don't know, just as I hear all this, what's happening in my heart is that I, I want to I start with Jesus for the first time. How do you do that? Well, the Bible says that Jesus has done everything for you to be made right with a holy God. That we've sinned against Him, we've gone our own way, we have rebelled, and that He did everything to make it possible for us, for, for sinners, to be in perfect fellowship with Him. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, a perfect life, the life that we should have lived and, and couldn't. And then He went to the cross and took our penalty in His death on the cross. He paid the price for all of our sin. And then He was buried, and on the third day, He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. Praise God. And if you want to have a relationship with Him, to begin a relationship with Him, the Bible says it is by faith. By looking to Him, by turning to Him, turning away from your sin to Him in faith and throwing up your hands and saying, I'm in, I surrender, you lead. I trust you. And the moment you do that, your sins are wiped away. And you start brand new in a walk with Him. For the rest of us, when we fail, what do we need to do? The same. We need to turn to Him, repent and believe the gospel again, throw up our hands in surrender and say, you lead, not me. We need to allow Him to give us a fresh start and get our eyes fixed on Him and only Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for being so patient with us, so gentle toward us, so lowly. Lord, I want to pray for those in this room who don't know you. Grant to them faith, the flame of faith, and may it burn hot. Lord, help them to Lay down whatever holds them back right now, whatever sin, whatever it is, Lord. Help them to lay it down and turn to you in faith and be saved. And I pray for someone in this room whose faith is just an ember. Maybe there's several in this room, your faith is just an ember. Oh Lord, breathe on that ember. Help them. Fan that faith into flame. Restore them to relationship with you and to work in the kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.